in this edition of Hoopsology, well, the author of Hip Hop and Other Things, Shay Sharano, onto the show in this fun chat. Shay talks to us about how he became a writer, his love for the San Antonio Spurs, and hip hop music. This is an awesome chat. I know um, some of our listeners have been waiting for this. So without further ado, here is Shay Sharano. He is the author of Hip Hop and Other Things, coming out on October 26th. We welcome Shay Sharano onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Shay? What up? It is awesome to have you on the show. This is probably ever since we rebooted the podcast last year. This is an anticipated interview. Just have you on the show. So I appreciate you um, taking out the time to talk with us. Very appreciate it. Y'all been knowing I was coming on for a year? That's a long uh, time. Yeah, we rebooted the show during uh, the pandemic. So just uh, kind of the, the last dance got us back in the swing of things. Um, and Shay, usually since it's a you know it's a basketball podcast, we usually ask our guests, "What is your either your favorite basketball memory or your first basketball memory that comes to mind?" Oh shit, I got so many of them. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even. Let me, so I give you the first like meaningful basketball memory that I have in my head. This is one of my favorite things to think about. This was back when the I live in San Antonio. Uh, I was born here. I grew up here. I left for a while when I met my wife or to go to college and then I met my wife. So I was gone for several years, but I'm back now. And anyway, that's to say I was here in San Antonio before we got David Robinson, before we got Tim Duncan, when the team was just fucking terrible. Hmm. And when that was the case, they would just give tickets away. You could just like go to a game for free. You could show up with like a Coke can and they'd be like, here's eight tickets. Come on in. Like that kind of thing, right? <laughs> so my dad and I would go to the games pretty regularly. He's a, at the time he worked for Via, which is the Metro bus system here in town. And so they would just give the tickets to the drivers. Um, so we would go like, a, you know, a couple of times a month to the games during the season. And we were at a game. This was like early in my life. I was a baby, baby, like six, seven, eight years old, something like that. One of those ones where you kind of have a memory in your head, but you're probably getting a bunch of shit wrong. So we were at the game. We we're sitting way up at the top. This was before they played in the SBC Center, before they played in the Alamo Dome. They were playing in this thing called the, this place called the Hemisphere Arena. Really, really old place. Mm. And so we're sitting way up at the top at the Hemisphere Arena, and we're watching the game. And the Spurs are getting trounced. Uh, I don't know who we were playing. I don't know like what t- players were on our team. That's not how you watch basketball when you're seven years old. Uh, but so we're sitting there. We're watching the Spurs are getting demolished, and they run like a play. The ball gets knocked into the backcourt on the defense by the defense. The shot clock is winding down. And uh, so the guy, whoever the guy was at the top of the key, like fucking books after the ball. So now it's just him chasing this errant ball that's rolling toward the uh, other opponent's uh, goal. And nobody else is running after the ball because they all recognize there's like six seconds left on the shot clock. Even if you get it, what's going nothing good is going to happen. Not even the other team was running after it. They were winning by so many points. Who cares? But this guy, for some reason, gets it into his head that he's going to fucking go get this ball. And so it gets knocked back, and he takes off running after it. Maybe he's like a rookie or like a 10-day contract guy, and he's trying to get a spot. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. But he's running after it full speed. And he's like crosses the half-court line. He crosses the three-point line. And he's getting closer and closer to the ball, but it's clear he's not going to make it. And so the crowd is getting louder and louder as he's running after it. They're starting <laughs> to celebrate. He gets to like a step or two inside the three-point line, right around the half, the, the free throw line, and he just full body dives. He's like, I'm going to get this fucking ball. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and he dives out as far as he can. 
the ball rolls over the end line. He comes crashing in behind it. He doesn't get it, but he gets up and he starts walking back down uh, or like gets up and dusts himself off and everybody else is walking back down. And the crowd just goes fucking nuts. They just, when he gets up, they're like, <laughs> yeah, cheering and going crazy. And I said, dad, dad, why are they, he didn't get the ball. Why are they cheering? I don't understand what they're doing. And then he just like in a very like old Mexican dad-like manner, they barely ever talk. He just looked at me and he said some version of the phrase, he tried, son. And that was his only explanation. And I never understood it. <laughs> I didn't understand it until I became an adult. And then it made so much sense to me. And I don't know who this mystery player was. Uh, I don't know what the game was. I don't know what the score was, but I remember him diving after that ball and not getting it. And everybody celebrating and being 100% confused. My first meaningful basketball memory. How was those Spurs? I mean, what I remember is, you know, Dennis Rodman with the pink hair um, when I was just, you know, uh, in elementary that, school. How was, was Washington? This was, this was well well before then. Well before Dennis then. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, Dennis didn't show up until we had Dave. Dennis showed gotcha. up when we were like championship contenders or when we were supposed to be. This was like like 1987. Whoa. <laughs> Spurs. That's, that's, what, yeah. that's, what, that's what I'm talking about here. So like Cadillac Anderson. Um, Walter Berry, Alvin Robertson, Johnny Moore, like that, like those those players who I can't even like see them in my head. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so how do you like explain just like the, the, you know, that origin of being a fan of the Spurs? You know, since you were younger to you know the you know David Robinson era to like you know when the Spurs were dominating with pop. Like, what's kind of your overall feeling with the teams? Because I think the Spurs are kind of one of the most disrespected teams in the NBA history. I mean, they are you know have a significant dynasty within the league. So, can what is what's your thoughts of this being a fan of that team? There, there was definitely a period early on when I felt like the Spurs were not respected enough. But right around. 2013 2014 prior prior to then basketball like the way people watched basketball or the way people talked about basketball or thought about basketball um, it started to change a little bit and then when we get to the 13 14 spurs that's the like a beautiful game spurs is what we're talking about here where it's mm -hmm. seven passes every possession nobody plays more than 29 minutes a game and it, like once we got to that level that paired with like with with advanced statistics becoming like a very important part of the the way we talk about the game then people were like oh the spurs are incredible they're so great we 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 underappreciated them when we shouldn't have like so i don't feel like they're super disrespected anymore there was definitely a period early on when i felt like that but that that also might be because i was younger and more like prone to want to argue and fight and shit and now i'm just old and i just want to be happy <laughs> the other impression that I get, and um, you being in the area can can give me uh, the the perspective on this. It doesn't seem like, in spite of the dynasty success that the Spurs have really had, like a bandwagon type of effect, like you've seen with maybe dynasties like the Patriots, uh, the Seahawks when they had their their short little maybe mini dynasty there of success. And of course, I'm naming football teams there, but like the Lakers, <laughs> I think you get bandwagon fa fans for sure. Um, do you get the perception that the Spurs have a, a, had a bandwagon effect with that success? Probably not. There's probably like a very small, very nerdy Spurs bandwagon that we've gotten. But compared to other like fan bandwagons, compared to the Lakers fan bandwagon, 
like that's a fucking that's a that's a carnival cruise ship size bandwagon you know we're, we're like a radio flyer wagon we got a few people in there and then that's it which is great that's how it should be we're san antonio they're los angeles Awesome. I, I wanted to ask similar to Justin's first question, but on the writing side of things, how did you get into to writing and becoming an author? All of that stuff happened by by accident. Um, I didn't go to school to be a writer. I didn't like even know that that was a job you could do. I was at the time a middle school teacher. My wife was a middle school teacher. Uh, we were we were getting married. She was pregnant with twins. Uh, three or four months into the pregnancy, she had some uh, complications with uh, with her uterus. It was like trying to get the babies out. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a real bad situation. She couldn't work anymore. They put her on bed rest for like four months straight. And because she couldn't work anymore and because she ran out of her like PTO pretty quickly, we just didn't have any money. And it's like, well, looking at the bills that we're paying and the little check that I'm bringing in, this is not going to work. I need another way to make money, right? And I, so I tried to like, I'm going to go work at Target. I'm going to work at the grocery store. I'm going to be a waiter. I was trying to like apply at those types of jobs. But each time I would do an interview, they would tell me, well, you can't work when we need you to work because you already have a full-time job. So they wouldn't hire me. I needed something I could do on my own time. I like legitimately just Googled work from home jobs. I read it on the list. Writer was one of them. I said, all you really need is the internet and a computer. And so I got both of those things and I guess I'll try that. And then I just started reading a bunch about like how to be a writer. And like, I, I learned about um, pitching stuff and like carving out little corners for yourself and doing that whole thing that, you know, that, that took several years for it to like come together, but eventually it, it did. And within that first year, I was able to like start making a few hundred bucks a month. And that was really all we needed to sort of flow by. And then when the twins were born, which was in the summertime, the same year the Spurs won the 2007 championship, by the way. Um, they were born, we started looking into daycare and to send them both to daycare, like a full-time daycare is gonna cost like 2,200 bucks a month. Yep, and I feel that. <laughs> as teachers, Laramie and I were both each making $2,100 a month, $2,200. It was like, what's the point? What are we doing? Mm. So she said, well, I'm just gonna stay home because we're gonna save a little money. And I said, all right, Let's do that for like as long as we can and see what happens. And then the writing just sort of kept on creeping on up there after, you know, by the end of the first year, my, I was, I, I had this goal of trying to make like a thousand bucks a month. And so by the end of the first year I got there and I was like, okay, cool. By the end of year two, can I make 2000 bucks a month? And then I'm like, you know, hustling, hustling, hustling. And we were able to get there and then it just kept on growing, you know? For sure. Um, I was reading something the other day that was talking about like how authors and writers more and more uh, in, in the modern day are their own entrepreneurs. Um, and I, I was wondering if you could just tell me kind of your experience. How has the writing game, so to speak, changed since you started? Uh, I mean, I believe uh, when you got started, it was kind of before the advent of Twitter and social media kind of blew up uh, a little bit more. So how has that all changed to present day? Yeah, I remember when Twitter was becoming like a, a thing because I didn't want to get on it at all. A buddy of mine was telling me about it. And I said, that sounds like awful. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and so I, I didn't do it for a while. And then like I got a writing job 
and part of it was I had to have a Twitter account to like get it. So I started one and then mm. that's how, that's how it, it happened. But yeah, there's been a definite shift over like the past, I don't know how many years, seven years, five years or so where writers are doing as well or better for themselves on their own than they, not all writers, but some, um, as well or better on their own than they were like at a, at a publication, you know, you mm -hmm. see with something like, like a Substack, Patreon, Kickstarter, yeah. whatever, like you, it, you can just build out your own little corner and be okay. Like, let's say you're a staff writer somewhere and you're making 50 grand a year, 40 grand a year, you got to be looking at that. And then you like, are, are, well, let me see, I'm on Twitter and I've got 25,000 people following me or whatever. Okay, well, shoot, if I can get like a very, if I can get 10% of that to subscribe to a thing, maybe I can make more money than I would doing this. You know what I'm saying? And you, I think that's all changing, which is great. And also like, it's cool. It's cool to watch happen, but you do kind of miss when you could have like a, a good home and be there for a while and, and grow it all up. But it's the same, it's the same way. in like with book stuff, I'm watching the exact same thing uh, happen there. Uh, recently I did, um, I started like self publishing my own stuff and just selling it digitally, like straight on my own. And I just was watching how much of a difference it was compared to like the book stuff. I give you some like firm numbers here. When I, when I did the Rapier book, this is my first book in 2015, uh, the publisher paid me $25,000 for that book to write a book. At the time I thought I was fucking Jeff Bezos because I'd never had that. They, they, they give you two checks. You get an advance and two checks, one when you sign the, the deal and one when you uh, finish the book. So like that first check, I had to pay agent, agent fees so that was that there's automatic 15% gone. So it's like, you know, 22,000 or something. And then also I had to pay my illustrator. So I take money out of there, but whatever, I had like a check for several thousand dollars. I thought I was really doing it. And then the book comes out and it does really well. I think by this point, that book has sold 200,000 copies or something. Yeah. And I'm mm. like, man, that's great. That's awesome. And then I remember they paid me 25,000 bucks to do it. And they're selling them. Let's say they were selling them for a $10 profit per copy. 200,000 copies, they made 2 million bucks off of the thing. And I'm like, oh shit, what if I would have <laughs> like, I could have done this on my own maybe. Yeah. Uh, so I like self-published a thing, uh, like a short story, for example, and I sold it for 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. And if I sell one of those and now I get, you know, instead of like $1 per copy, like you would with a book, now you get $9 for every $10 cause you're selling it yourself. So you have to yeah. sell a much smaller percentage. I don't have to sell 200,000 copies of this short story. Yeah. If I sell mm -hmm. 5,000 copies of a short story, I made twice as much money doing that than I did writing a whole, a whole book. So, you know, you, you're watching stuff like that happen or people are building up their podcast to like support themselves. And it's just fucking cool to see, you know, you always got to, there, there's nothing I like reading more than a story about like somebody figured out a way to make money on the internet and you're like hell yeah go do that shit definitely a lot more mobility does it yeah. add any like element of uh volatility or, or fear going into those uh self-produced uh projects though yeah you're terrified because there's no like there's no safety net mm. if the if, if if we look at the flip side if i would have put the book out and nobody bought it i still would have got my money 
Whereas this other thing, if I put it out and nobody buys it, well, then I just wasted a bunch of money putting it mm. together. And like now, I'm, you know, now I'm stuck. There, there's, there's a, there's definitely a scary part to it. I've never been that brave. I, I couldn't walk away from like a guaranteed job to start my own thing. That's terrifying. Mm. Do you think publishers are concerned that there's more of an entrepreneur style in terms of authors, like kind of taking your brand in your own hands and just saying, hey, I just I can get 100% of that profit. I don't have to go through a middleman. My name's already established. I don't, I don't need you as a publisher anymore. Is there any concern? Is there any way that, that they're adjusting to that new kind of paradigm shift? I hope so. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I hope that I hope they feel that pressure because all that means is they got to pay you more money. If they want to, if they want to keep you, you know, is it that, I mean, that's really what all of this stuff boils down to after a while is like, where am I going to make more money doing the thing that I want to do? You know what I'm saying? And if I can make more money doing the thing I want to do on my own, then I'll go do that. Uh, And if they know that, then they have to like, you know, if they want you around, they got to pay you a little bit more. I think they, I think they feel it. I hope they feel it. So Shay, I want to shift to your latest book, Hip Hop and Other Things. And uh, my buddy was asking me, how did she get Bun B to do the forward for your book? How did that come about? And what was your experience um, if you had any like interaction with him? I met I met Bun B several years ago when I started freelancing. I was covering rap for the Houston Press in Houston is where we were living at the time. And because I was covering rap, I was going to like a ton of shows. And he was just sort of always there. It didn't matter, big show, small show. If I go to the Jay-Z show, he shows up. If I go to like a back room of a back room for a person who's never put a song out before, he shows up. He's just like he's everywhere in the city. So because I kept seeing him places, eventually I worked up the nerve to like say hello to him and introduce myself. And then I got the chance to interview him a couple of times for some stories. And he was just always the smartest, most insightful person. Anytime you talk to him about anything and and then, you know, you watch him as his career grows and he became like a college professor and just as like, he was just like the coolest, smartest dude. And so when I started working on the book, I'd say, well, who do I, who do I want to try to like, see if I get them to do the forward? You know, how do you not, how do you not ask fun? And so I had his, uh, one of his old numbers in my phone, it didn't work anymore. So I like reached out to a friend who knew a friend who connected us. And then I asked him and he was like, yeah, I got you. Give me a call. And then we just did it real quick. He's super fucking the best person. Yeah, he seems really cool. Big fan of his music. And I just want to ask you, because I find myself being a hip hop fan, kind of like almost gaining like an old man syndrome of like the music of today <laughs> being like, what is what is this garbage? But then I have to think, man, I'm just, I sound like my dad here. What am, what's, what's happening? I have to kind of like retrain my mind to be open minded. So I guess my question to you and writing this book, like in terms of the generations of hip hop, like, are you feeling good about the new artists that are out now? Or are you, are you thinking like, it's good, but it's not like it was when you were growing up in terms of this, the classic artists you grew up with. Like, what's kind of your experience kind of like seeing of all these generations of hip hop in this day and age? While I, while I was working on the book, I was, I found myself wanting to write about music that came out within like the same seven year period or something. I kept like wandering back to, from night to, to like 93 to 2000 or so Mm. and i was like man this must have been the best 
years for music ever. Uh, and I, I, was, I was trying to figure out like why I felt like that. And so I was researching a bunch, researching a bunch, and then I found all of these like academic papers and these big studies that had been done about how music that you consume during that period of your life when you're 13, 14, 15 years old embeds itself into your brain differently than the music when you're seven or 27 to 37 or whatever, it just feels different. It's the, the term they use yeah. is the magic age. And mm -hmm. so like you remember that stuff vividly and it just feels like big in your heart. And so I always keep that in my head whenever I'm listening to, to newer rap, because like my, I have sons right now that are 14 years old. So they're feeling the exact same way about this stuff that I was about like when Tupac showed up or Biggie or Nas or Missy Elliott or Busta Rhymes or DMX, like Puff Daddy, like that, that, that group, like they have their version of that. So I don't, you know, when I listen to it, I try, I try not to compare it to like what I was listening to back then. I just listen and see, does it like, does it activate something in my chest? And if it does, then I add it to my playlist. And if it doesn't, then I don't. Who are you feeling now? Um, in terms of new artists, who's got your eyes? Oh, there are, there are a bunch of them. Like I could give you a whole, a whole long list. Um, younger, younger rappers that I really like. And I say younger, I mean like under 30. Sure. Right. So like, um, I really like Kamaya. She's wonderful. She just called the good night in the ghetto, which is one of my favorite tapes of the last few years. Um, this guy named cousin Stiz who's out of Boston. He's great. Um, I just started, I like the baby Keem tape. K E E M. Yeah. That was fun. That was, you know, a, a good tape to listen to. Uh, you can like, I don't know. There's a, there's a ton. There's a guy named Maxo cream. Who's out of Houston, Megan Thee Stallion out of Houston. Yeah, L E right. dollar sign less out of Houston. <laughs> Houston is so good. I have like a, you know, a fondness in my heart for Texas rappers. Um, there's a bunch. Tierra Whack. I don't know if y'all listen to Tierra Whack. Oh man, she fucking goes. She's so good. <laughs> Benny the Butcher. Like, do we yeah. want to, what do we, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there's like so many of yeah. them out there. And you hear people say like, there's no good rap music. And like, I it. Justin, yes. I don't know what you're talking about, brother. I do not know <laughs> what you're talking about. Because it's so good. I, I just think, like, I don't know. I think, like, now actually what's catching my eye is kind of the female rappers. Like, you mentioned Maggie the Stallion and not only Nicki Minaj, but like Doja Cat. Like, I'm really kind of in, into them lately, just the past, along with just kind of usual suspects of, you know, Wale, J. Cole, um, Kendrick. Just, you know, those did are kind you of like the, Did you like the Vince Staples tape? Um, I listened to some of it. I did. Vince Staples is all right. Um, all right, you're fucking. I know, I know. This is the worst interview I've ever done. You know, I've you know, I'm really into Nipsey Hustle. We actually had Justin Tinsley. Um, we he did a whole podcast series yeah, yeah, about yeah. Nipsey Hustle and all of that. So I really got into him right before his death, and yeah. just right when he passed. I'm I'm a big fan of his for sure. Nip, Nip, Nipsey's great. Victory Lap is like yes. that's when you put in and just let yep. it go and yep. But Vince Staples, I think Vince Staples has the best tape of the year right now. Okay, I'll give it. A, you should give that another try. I will, <laughs> I promise. Um, before we let you go, I want to talk to you just about this upcoming NBA seasons. Uh, what's got you excited? I know you know a lot. The fans are back. Things are back to normal from a basketball sense in terms of having almost full capacity um, in the arena. Um, just you know, in your neck of the woods of Texas, uh, you know you got you know the Mavericks. You know the Rockets are young. Um, you got the Mav Mavericks with Luca and Porzingis. Anything else catching your eye this season? 
Man, you know what's gonna suck is for like the next, I don't know how, a couple of years, the the Mavericks are gonna be better than the Spurs, and I hate that. I hate that so much. It's it's awful. For so long we were we were at the top of like Texas pyramid, and then it seemed like Houston was gonna get there. They never quite did, and then now it's Dallas, and we just Dallas is terrible. They're the worst. Luca's great. He's so much fun to watch, and I watch him and I'm like, man, you should be in a black and silver. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited about this young Spurs team. I don't think they're going to be very good. Um, I think Vegas had us as like 28 wins or something like that on the season for the over under. I'm hoping we. I'm hoping we overachieve. But like, you know, I want to see Josh Primo. I want to see Dejounte. I want to see Keldon. Uh, I want to see Vassal. Like, I want to. I think we're going to be interesting, but that's because we haven't played any games yet. Like any meaningful games yet, and let's let's talk again. Seventeen games into the season, and if we're like fucking three and fourteen, and we, mm-hmm. we sound a little bit different, I'm sure. <laughs> Shay, with that Spurs team being young and and kind of I guess in the rebuilding phase, uh, what's your sense on Ben Simmons? You know, the Spurs have been rumored in those talks. Would you want to do the Ben Simmons experiment, not do the Ben Simmons experiment, and just develop on your own? What are your thoughts on I that? I would a hundred percent want Ben Simmons on the basketball team because because his main thing is he's bad at shooting. That's like his not. He's good at everything else. Terrible shooter. And who do we got in the wings over here? We got Chip England, the fucking shooting genius. When we got Tony Parker, he couldn't shoot. You see how that turned out, finals MVP. Great when we point. got Kawhi Leonard, he couldn't shoot. You see how that turned out, finals MVP. Yep. Send us Ben Simmons. And then in two years when he's shooting 39% from three, and he's the league MVP, we're going to feel real good about things. I would, I would, yeah, send him our way. I'll take him. Yeah, I really like that take. We we got to watch uh, Kawhi Leonard in person at the pit, uh, Justin and I from Albuquerque originally. And, you know, it, it was uh, pretty surreal seeing Kawhi rise to finals MVP when, you know, seeing him at San Diego State, uh, you wouldn't have seen that. So, yeah, definitely credit to that Spurs coaching staff. Yeah, they just, they can, un- they can unlock it. They can unlock the thing in there. I mean, all, most of that credit, 95% of that credit has to go to Kawhi because you got to do all the shit that you got to do to get there. For sure. Um, but, you know, when you need that last 5%, Ben Simmons has done the 95. Come get that last 5%. Let's go get this championship trophy, Ben. Who's going to stop Put him us? in the lab. <laughs> Put him in the lab. A 6'10 <laughs> point guard who can shoot from three. Like, come on. Yeah. That's true. Um, Shay, before we get you out of here, um, my buddy had a question for you, kind of a fantasy movie matchup uh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme characters, just based on, you know, the book you wrote um, about movies. Um, basically, it's Frank Deuce from Bloodsport versus Guile from Street Fighter. That's a question you wanted me to ask you. I guess who would win, I don't know, either MMA rules or just no holds bar, like fight to the death. <laughs> uh, your prerogative in terms of the rule set. <laughs> oh, if you, let's let's have him fight in the Kumite. <laughs> and... Right, Frank Dukes has got to be—he's got to be the winner there. <laughs> like, I, I recently watched a clip of Street Fighter with with uh, Jean Claude Van Damme fights Raul Julia, who plays in Bison in the movie. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he wasn't doing much. I mean, he does the like flip kick a couple of times, <laughs> but beyond that, Frank Dukes—he can just do too much. He's got too many weapons. He's too smart of a fighter. You couldn't even 
win when you cheated. You blinded the guy. He was blind. <laughs> he was he was blind, and he still beat the five-time reigning, undefeated, ferocious Kumite champion. While he was blind, he beat the guy. <laughs> beat him into submission. He's going to kick the shit out of Guile from Street Fighter. <laughs> street, street, street Fighter fighters are... I, I just... You have to have somebody from Mortal Kombat if you want to compete with Frank Dukes. You know, you can do your little flip kick. You need somebody who will rip the spine out. You gotta have that beat. fatality. You right. gotta have a fatality. Not a fucking or whatever. Like, like, who cares? You gotta be. You gotta be ready to kill someone when you get on the team mat. Guile yeah. never wanted to kill anybody. Guile's always combing his hair. Flexing. Too much flexing. Yeah, just fucking. <laughs> there you go. That, that flat yeah. top, that, right. that super flat top he had. <laughs> well, Shay, we appreciate the chat. Thank you very much for just chopping it up with us. Uh, please let our audience know where you can find you on social media. Again, when hip hop and other things comes out, and anything else you want our audience to know. The book comes out on October twenty sixth, so get it. It's gonna be wherever the there that there are books. Just type my name or hip hop and other things into Google and then whatever the first link is, buy it from there. And that would be great. That's all you gotta do. Just fucking buy the book. Just buy <laughs> gotcha. the book. <laughs> Thank you so much, Shay. Thank you, Shay, very much. Appreciate it. All right, y'all. Later. <laughs>